Let us pray. Oh Lord, you are our king. Your kingdom reigns forever. And Father God, you are our savior. You are our only hope. And help us to sing. Sing praises to you. With our lives, with our words, with our deeds, with everything that we do. And Father, what a joy it is to come before you singing praises to your great name. What a joy it is to do that with fellow believers who long to do the same as well. And Father, thank you for the privilege that you have given me this morning to preach from your word. And Father, I pray that your words will not come void, but instead pierce through the hearts and minds of people and bring about transformation in each and every one of our lives, Lord. So that we are fully committed and devoted to follow you now and forevermore. And that's our desire. So open our hearts, open our minds, open our eyes to see and open our ears to hear. But you have to say, through your inspired, inerrant, authoritative word that you have given us in your grace and your mercy. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, I would li- my name is Pastor David. Uh, I would like to uh, bring your attention to the insert in the bulletin. If you take that insert, I want to walk you through a few things. Uh, this past week... Uh, you, hopefully, all of you received an email from the Elder Board uh, uh, requesting you to take this reveal survey. And if you have not received such an email, uh, please let us know. Write it in the connection card and that, that you did not receive this particular email and that you would like to participate in this survey and give feedback to the Elder Board and also the pastors and other leaders of this church, how we are doing and kinds of things that uh, need to be improved and all of that. And then uh, give us an email address and we will send that survey to you. There are a few things uh, that you need to be aware of. Uh, uh, It's on the the back page, I think. Uh, This uh, survey works uh, only in the Google Chrome uh, as your um, uh, browser. Uh, For whatever reason, it's not working with the uh, Internet Explorer. So you may have to download the Google Chrome and then... Uh, hit the link and it will, it will work for you. So that's one thing that I wanted to point it out. Uh, and, and the second thing, there's one question uh, about the senior pastor of this church. Uh, as you know, we do not have a senior pastor. Uh, we have a preaching pastor and an executive pastor and a pastoral team. We are a team. Uh, this is not about a personality-driven church. And therefore, for that question, when it comes up, it's only one question. Think about the entire pastoral team. That is the decision of the elder board. How satisfied are you uh, with our pastoral team is the question. So please make a mental note of that. Uh, that, that question will, uh, will come up. Uh, and if you for some reason or another run into any, any issues, please send an email to the email address that is given there and we will immediately get back to you uh, to make any appropriate corrections. Uh, and I, I think what happens is the reveal survey people have changed their format and, and, and uh, you know, how they do the survey. As a result, you know, they are also experimenting this new format. And so it is possible there might be some issues that you might run into. So don't hesitate. Immediately send us an email and, and, and we will respond back to you. And the survey takes about, I have already taken the survey, and the survey takes, takes about 20 to 30 minutes of your time. And so, again, as I had said last week, the more people take the survey and provide input, uh, the, the more significant uh, the results will be. So please uh, make it a point to do that for us. And I think it uh, remains open for about two weeks. So we need to complete that within that time period. All right? So thank you so much. And let's turn to the book of Nehemiah, chapter 8. And as we continue our series uh, from this Old Testament book. 
we are using the church Bible, the Bible that church provides, you may have found as you came in, and that's the blue in color, and if you're using that, it's found on page 510, 510. At this point, the story of Nehemiah switches from rebuilding the wall and restoring the city to revival of the people. And you will see that very clearly as we study Nehemiah chapter 8. Again, if you remember, the, the title of the sermon series is Rebuild, Restore, and Revive. And the first two components have been accomplished in the life of the Jewish people at the time. And beginning in chapter 8, it moves into the revival of the people. Now, this is a historical book, meaning it is a storybook. It, it tells a story of exactly what happened. Sometimes the biblical scholars refer to this as narrative passages. These are true stories. So they, these are not made up stories. These are true stories. But nevertheless, they are stories. If you study epistles, for example, the Apostle Paul's epistles, there's an argument that he makes in a logical fashion, and he could follow the thought process and, and, and come, come away with, okay, okay, that's what he said in this particular passage. But stories are different. The storyteller simply tells a story. It's very rarely the storyteller would give you interpretation of what the story meant. And therefore, for preachers and teachers, it's, it's in fact challenging and harder to preach from narrative passages. And so that's, that is something that has been happening throughout the Nehemiah series. That when Pastor Jeremy and I come and preach here, we had to be really careful, do the homework, study it very carefully, and to make sure that we are correctly interpreting that particular narrative passage or the story. I usually use about four different methods to interpret narrative passages. And this morning what I would like to do is to teach you one of those methods. And hopefully you find this useful. And as you study in you know, narrative passages from the Bible, in fact, by and large, the largest portion of the scripture is actually narrative. They are stories, God's story. So here's what it is. On the, on the slide that you will see, I, I wanted, this is one method. I, I, as I said, I use uh, four different methods to study a narrative passage, and this is one of the methods. I ask these six questions that all of us are familiar with. Five of them start with W, and, and the one starts with an H. You know, simply asking the question, what, when, where, who, why, and how? Now, I don't ask these questions in any particular order. In fact, if anything, I ask them simultaneously. So most of the time what I have is actually, I have six pages, pieces of paper in front of me, each title, what, when, where, why, who, how. And I study the passage, I take notes in each of those pages. And then, having collected all the information that I need, for every page, I write some takeaways. So on the bottom of the page, you will, I will have takeaways. And then I will put all that together. And that's the main idea, or the main message of this particular narrative passage. Obviously, I checked that against the, the story of the whole Bible. I check that against the, against the theology and all kinds of things that I do. But that's the process that I go through. And since I'm asking all of those six questions simultaneously, in order to teach and to preach, I have to put them in a particular order. So what I do is to you know, find the best way to order it, such that the sermon will have a particular flaw with good transitions and things of that nature. So that's what I would like to do this morning. And hopefully you find this as a good way to study narrative passages in Scripture. So let's begin. Nehemiah chapter 8 on page 510. Here's the first question. Again, this is not the order in which I asked. 
And this is not the first question that I asked, although the question began with when, over the, as I studied, I may have changed the words that follow that. Here's the first question. When did this event or this story take place? That's the first question. So if we turn to a few pages before that, on page 508, Nehemiah chapter 6, in verse 15, you will find this. It says, Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 15, So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul in 52 days. And then you have to do a little bit of work to figure out exactly what this month Elul is. Because we are used to January, February, March, and all the way to, all to December. And you do a little bit of research and you find out it is the sixth month in the Jewish calendar. And you would also find out, you, nowadays you could Google these things, and you will also find out it has 29 days in it. And the best way to think about it is actually our month of August, part of August, leading all the way to the Labor Day weekend in September. So in other words, the summer is ending and the fall is about to begin. That's the month of Elul. And so they finished this rebuilding of the wall just about the summer was ending. The fall was about to begin. So throughout the summer they have been building, rebuilding the wall. If they had not been rebuilding the wall, they would have cultivated their lands and harvesting would be ending right around this time. If you remember, two weeks ago we talked about the intern of the conflict that was begin, or the trouble that was begin, because people started complaining that they could not work in the fields and make enough money to provide for their families. Or some of them could not cultivate their lands to reap more food for their families. Others of them had to mortgage their lands in order to pay their taxes. And all of this because they could not cultivate or work in the, harvest, in the fields to earn money or to harvest and to provide for their families. So this particular summer was an unusual summer for them in that they were all in to rebuild the wall. And after rebuilding the wall, they finished it then on the 25th day, which meant it had 29 days, and therefore there were four more days left to begin the next month, and they had gone back to their homes. That's what we see in chapter 7, verse 73, the very last verse of chapter 7, uh, chapter seven you will see in the second part of verse 73. And the, when the seventh month had come, the people of Israel were in their towns. In other words, just like here, not everybody lives in Midland. Some of you may have come from uh, the surrounding towns, whether that happens to be Saginaw or Mount Pleasant or Gladwin, uh, or, you know, places like that. Uh, but something was happening in Midland. You all came from, the, for, for, from different cities and towns. And so similarly, not in, in that time, not everybody lived in Jerusalem. They lived in the outskirts. But they had all come during the summer months to work on the wall, rebuilding of the wall. Now the rebuilding is complete. They had gone back to their homes. Now what's happening? They are coming back again for the second time. They are coming back again for the second time. And this time, for a different purpose, which we will see in a few minutes. So let's look at the first five verses for now, in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1, uh, uh, chapter 8. And it goes like this. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra, the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses 
that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Israel the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. Do you see it? First day of the seventh month. So they had essentially four or five days after finishing the wall. They went back to their homes. People who came from the outskirts, they went, they went back to their homes. I know they are coming back again. And he, meaning Ezra, read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood all of these people, Merataiah, Shema, Anaiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah on the right, and Pediah, Mishael, Malchiah, Hashem, Hashbadana. I thought only my name was difficult to pronounce. And here they are, Zechariah, and Melashem on his left. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And he opened it, all the people stood. Notice in verse 2 that they were gathering on the first day of the seventh month. Again, as I have said, since the rule, the sixth month has 29 days, the rebuilding of the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul. This gathering in Jerusalem was taking place five days after the completion of the wall. That is, people went to their homes and five days later they have come back again to Jerusalem. You know, as I reflected on that, I said to myself, they could have come up with all kinds of excuses why it wouldn't be possible to come back to Jerusalem in five days. For example, they were building nonstop, day and night, for 52 days to complete the wall, and therefore they were very tired. And they were exhausted and, and, and stressed out because they were fighting the enemies who were discouraging them, even threatening to kill Nehemiah and to stop the rebuilding of the wall. So here's a group of people who were exhausted and tired. They had given up, given everything that they had, and there was zero energy left. Besides, they could have said to themselves, we just got back to our homes. We were away the whole summer. We just got back to our homes. And and men were involved in building the temple. We just got back to our wives. We, We just got back to our kids. But there was none of that. Instead, in verse 1 we see, it was the people who took the initiative to approach Ezra. It says, and they told Ezra, that the people told Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses, that the Lord had commanded Israel. Tired and exhausted people who had nothing left to give, who had just got back to their homes, took the initiative And told their pastor, the people, we'll take a look at Ezra in a few minutes, bring back the book of the law of Moses. Furthermore, remember, they completed on the 25th of Elul. And there were four days or five days left. In that five days, in fact, Ezra is reading from a wooden platform built for this very specific purpose. What does it tell us? After rebuilding of the wall, some men decided to stay back in Jerusalem and build this thing. People who had carpentry skills, who were capable of working with the wood, and who were capable of building these kinds of things, stood back and built this thing. Now, there are two options, of course. They didn't get back to their homes. 
Because whatever that they were going to do here in Jerusalem after five days was so important that they said to themselves, no, we need to stay here and, and build this wooden platform. Or the people who were involved in, 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 in building this platform were people who lived in Jerusalem or closer to Jerusalem, so it was not a, too much of a strain on them to come and go, come and go, one way or the other. But the commitment to build what was needed for what was to come was there. Tired and exhausted people who had nothing else to give, who, who just had gone back to their homes, decided this is so important for them to do. So here's the takeaway from me. This shows how hungry they were for God's word. They wanted to see it read and hear it clearly. In the days when microphones were not available, right? That's why they had to put Ezra on an elevated platform. So that they could see him, they could hear him. Even when they could not hear without a microphone, they could at least look at his lips and see what he was saying, what he was reading. And there was the platform. So that they could see it, hear it, and respond to it. In verse 5 we read, And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. Not because he was greater than anybody. It's just that's the way people wanted it. Because they could see it, hear it, understand it, and respond to it. And as he opened it, all the people stood up. That's the takeaway from that particular question. When did this take place? Now, what's the application for us today? Let me ask the question. What are your excuses today for not being able to focus on God's word? To study it? To attentively hear it when it's taught and preached? You see, a hunger hunger for God's word is strong enough to overcome all of those excuses. You know, I used to do my daily Bible study at night. I'm I'm a late night person, not an early morning person. That was my excuse. And so I would go home at the end of the work day and open the Bible and study and pray. And over time it became clear that was not a good thing. Because at the end of the work day, I am so exhausted, I am so tired, that mind is so exhausted, I have nothing to give, no way to focus. And nowadays I have reoriented my life such that this is something that I could do very first thing in the morning. If you, if you ask Jem, she would tell you that I don't get out of my bed until this is completed. I know many of you are working. I know many of you are working hard and long hours. I know that. And at the end of the day, mind is tired and we are exhausted when we go home, we have nothing to give to our spouses. We have nothing, nothing to, no energy to give to our children sometimes. But the question that I want to put before us is this. Is God, word of God is of such priority that we are able to give, reorder our lives if we will. To give it the priority that it deserves. So, let's talk about some of those things that we have done here at Midlam Free. We have given you a Bible reading plan during the book of Nehemiah. I'm not going to ask you to show of hands, so please don't do that. Think about this. How many of you are actually reading and following that Bible reading plan? 
And then Sunday after Sunday that you're coming here prepared to listen to a message from the Word of God. During the series, we also offered an opportunity for, for you to pray for 30 people or families during the 30 days of November. How many of you are able to do that? How many of you are able to say that was such a priority that I'm going to reorder, reprioritize what I do every day of my life? We also gave, in fact, it's in the insert, uh, it's, 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 is there any bulletin as an insert this morning, a blue sheet of paper every week, breaking down the Nehemiah passage, and, 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 uh, and we have written some prayers. In fact, there was a person in our congregation who does that week in and week out so that we could all learn to pray using Scripture. How many of you have been able to do that? So the message that flows from me, for me from that first question, when did this even take place, tells me that if you and I are spiritually stalled or desiring to grow spiritually and make progress of maturity, then we need to take the initiative ourselves to reorder our lives such that Word of God becomes a priority in our lives. No one else can do that for us but ourselves. So that's the first question, and that's the first takeaway. Second question. Why did they gather in the first place? You know, we have kind of hinted at it that, you know, they gathered for, spirit, for the purpose of spiritual renewal. But, you know, as I, as I reflected on this, what was odd to me is this. Odd or intriguing for me is this. Their eagerness to gather after five days. I'm saying to myself, well, they could have waited. They could have said to themselves, let's take a two-week vacation and come back and then assemble and focus on the spiritual renewal. But no, five days, they're back. They were tired and exhausted. They just got back to their homes. There's something about this, you know, it's odd, it's intriguing, it's surprising. Element is that they, they said, no, we are coming back. And the question is, why did they come back? And it, again, it's the first day of the Jewish calendar. The month's name is actually Tishri. And if you, if you study the Old Testament a little bit, you will realize this is a special month for the Jewish people. Again, remember, the sixth month, Elul, ended. Think of it as part of August and ending with the Labor Day weekend. And then began the seventh month, the Tishri. It's like our fall. After Labor Day, you know, we return, summer, summer is over, holidays are over, a different pace is over, we return to work, colleges and universities, you know, begin their new academic year, churches start new ministry year, and so on. So such was the seventh month, Tishri, for the Jewish people. It began a new pace of life after the harvest season. Even though it was not the first month in the Jewish calendar. In other words, they, again, think about our calendar, for example. There, there are usually two, maybe three times a year. There, so it gives us some new beginnings, right? The first one is January 1st. It's the beginning of a new year. And then comes a September. It's the beginning of a new year after the summer holidays. Perhaps some of you might put even the you know, beginning of summer into that one too. Okay, it's a new pace. Vacations, you know, things like that. Such was the month, the seventh month. So you know what God did? God, knowing this, in the Old Testament, put in place some events that needed to happen in the seventh month called Tishri 
Because when, when people began this new year after Labor Day, a new beginning of some sort, after the harvest had, harvest, summer had ended, the harvest had ended, God wanted them to come back to Him. Perhaps giving thanks to the blessings that He had given them in harvest. And you will find that actually in Numbers chapter 29 and Leviticus chapter 23. And we won't have the time to do it this morning, but I'm going to just read it. For example, in Leviticus chapter 23, verses 24 and 25, this is what we read. It's called the Feast of the Trumpets. In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall observe a day of solemn rest, a memorial proclaimed with blasts of trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall not do any work, and you shall present a food offering to the Lord. After the harvest, that's what God wanted them to do. Then you drop down to Leviticus chapter 23, same chapter, verse 27 and 28. We use, read this, it's called uh, the Day of Atonement. On the tenth day, so the first day they have to come, and they had to assemble, and it needs to be a day of rest, and they need to offering. And then, then on the tenth day of the seventh month, it's a Day of Atonement. It shall be for you a time of holy convocation, assembly there, and you shall afflict yourself and present a food offering to the Lord. The word afflict yourself is you, you shall fast and then bring the offering, and you shall not do any work on that very day, for it is a day of atonement to make atonement for you before the Lord your God. And then you drop down further to the verses 34 and 36 and also 42 and 43, you will find it's called the Feast of Booths. On the 15th day of the seventh month, for seven days. Now, they came on the first day, they came on the tenth day. Now they come on the 15th day, but there's a seven-day celebration of this one. So, so on the 15th day of the seventh month, and for seven days, is the Feast of Booths to the Lord. On the first day, you shall be a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. For seven days, you, have, you shall present food offering to the Lord. Every day, so for seven days in a row, they are presenting this food offering. And verse 42 says, You shall dwell in booths for seven days. All native Israelites shall dwell in booths, that your generations may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And then on the eighth day, you shall hold another holy convocation and present a food offering to the Lord. It's a solemn assembly. You shall not do any ordinary work. You see, that's a very special month, coming back to God. So these people, as, as we read this chapter, one of the things that I find is that these people have a vague memory that the seventh month being very special, but they don't have a full understanding of exactly the details of what's involved. And they want to find out. And that's why they came back after five days even though they were tired and they were exhausted. So, for example, verses 13 through 19, chapter 8, this is what we read. On the second day, the heads of the fathers' houses of all the people, with the priests and the Levites, came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. And they found it written in the law that, the, again, remember the word found it written. All of a sudden, they, they, kind of, they have a vague memory of it. But now they actually find it in the word of God written that the Lord had commanded Moses that the people of Israel shall dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month. And that they should proclaim it and publish it in all of their towns in Jerusalem. And they end up celebrating that on that particular day. In other words, I said to myself, you know, and that they want to recapture. For example, in verse 17 that you will find, And all the assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and lived in the booths for, 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 for from the days of Joshua, or Jeshua, the son of Nun, to that day the people of Israel had not done so. And they were very, and there was great rejoicing. They want to capture or recapture the joy of the good old days. That's my takeaway. So how do you apply that today? 
Are you longing for the good old days when you had tremendous spiritual growth in your life? Or when you first became a Christian? Married couples. Let me ask you this question. You were first attracted to each other because of your common belief in Jesus Christ. Perhaps you met at a church or a Christian ministry event at college. Perhaps studying the Bible together and praying was central during a dating period. But no longer. Would that be true? Do you yearn to capture or recapture the good old days? For Jim and I, we had our first daughter within the first year of our marriage. She was born about 14 months after we got married. And her coming changed everything. And we struggled so much that we actually decided not to have another child. It took a lot of convincing from our mother-in-law who lived with us. (laughs) And it took six years to have the next child. So where are you? Somewhere along the way you became a Christian and you had this great joy. Are you still filled with that joy? Or are you longing to recapture that joy? Then you need to hunger for God's word and to make God's word a priority in in your life. If that requires reordering your life, then it needs to happen. Third question. Where did they gather? And again, we have read these verses. In verses 1 and 3, we read this. They gathered at the square before the water gate. From early morning until midday. In the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. By the way, that those who could understand from everything that I could gather refers to children grown enough to sit and understand what, what was being read and what was being taught. Let me show you a picture of uh, the, the wall that Nehemiah built. You will see it on the screen. And that's the wall that he built. And on the right-hand side, you will see a big arrow that points to the water gate. And that's the gate near which that they met. You know what is surprising? They did not meet in the temple, which was at the center. If you know anything about Jewish history, you know, you know the Jerusalem temple is a big deal. God promised to be there. God dwelt there. But they chose to meet near the water gate. So you pursue that. And as I pursued that, you know, why, why did they meet in the water gate as opposed to in the temple? I came up with four reasons. First, it may have been the limitation of space. Remember, this was the second temple. The first temple that Solomon Solomon built had been destroyed, so that's gone. And then when the exiles returned some 80 years before this particular time, they built a second temple, which was much smaller. People were very sad about it, but God promises that he will be there. In fact, the glory of the second temple will be greater than the glory of the first temple, he says in in the Old Testament. But nevertheless, it is smaller. It's not as big as the other one. And therefore, you know, space may have been a problem. Don't know. Second, again, if you could put the picture back again, you will see the gate is on the east side. 
Where did the sun rise? On the east side. Because remember that they, they began as soon as the sun, sun came up, they had begun reading the scriptures. If you want to start early, then be on the east side. As soon as the sun rises, he could start. And they read for about five to six days, six hours per day. But beyond those two, here are probably the two important things that really touched my heart. Number one is that in those days, only men were allowed in the temple precincts. This gathering included men, women, and children. Significant. Moreover, one commentary said, by doing, Ezra doing this outside of the temple, near the water gate, and not inside of the temple, you know, there's a point that is being made, God's word is more important, greater than a building. And even the sacrifices that people offer. So having said that, here are two takeaways for me. Spiritual renewal is for everyone. Men, women, and children. Not just for men. And not just for adults. Furthermore, God's word is central to spiritual renewal and growth. Not the building. God's word is So does your, now takeaway for us now, application for today is this, does your life reflect that God's word is central to you? For example, you know, it's a humorous example. A group of us are, are doing what is called the 21 days of worship. It involves studying a scripture, short scripture, and then praying that scripture for 21 days and we are keeping each other accountable. And some people are finding it, and, and here's the other thing too, if you miss, as, let's say you go five days and you miss the sixth day, you go back to day one and start over. And you go now ten days, you miss the eleventh day, you go back to day one and start over. And some people are finding it harder to continuously go 21 days. And we are asking questions of each other. Why is it? Is this a priority for you in your life? How can it become a priority? Are you working too hard? Are you putting in long hours? Are you doing it at the end of the day when you are too tired? Well, how about, you know, we, we are asking all kinds of questions. And also parents, if you have children still at your home, don't forget to your children. Here at Midland Free, we believe, we believe parents have the primary responsibility to evangelize and disciple their children. Period. Church is there to be a resource and to come along and to support and cheerlead and encourage. Ultimately, parents have the responsibility. And that's why we have created a Faith at Home Center here to provide all kinds of resources that we need. Fourth question. Who were there? We have already talked about the fact that there were men, women, and children who could understand. And there were all those, also these men who built that wooden platform in five days. They were carpenters. They were there. Then in verse 9, in Nehemiah chapter 8, we read a few things. Nehemiah was there. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people were there too. So Nehemiah, the governor who led the effort of rebuilding the wall, was there giving approval to and supporting this gathering of spiritual renewal. You know why? Because Nehemiah knew that God called him to rebuild the wall and restore the city of Jerusalem. But he also knew that ultimately God wanted to revive and renew the people. So he's there, he was there giving support. 
Then we read the name of Ezra. It says he was a scribe and a priest. As a scribe, he was responsible for safekeeping of God's word. Remember, unlike us, we, have, we each have probably a copy of the Bible. They did not. Perhaps the whole community had one scroll. That's it. And so he was responsible for safeguarding this. As a priest in the Old Testament time, he was a mediator between man and God. He performed many of the sacred functions of the temple, such as to bless God, bless people, teach from God's word, serve as judges to judge to resolve controversy, and yes, even offering sacrifices on behalf of the people. In the Old Testament times, priests were also called Levites. And since Ezra has other Levites to help him, there are one list I read to you, there's another list also there. It was very likely that he was a chief priest. Chief of the Levites. Some stood on the platform with him, perhaps helped him to read God's word, because, you know, it's, it's, for any person it's difficult to stand there and read for five, six hours. So some of them may have been readers. Others stood among the people giving clear explanation on what was read from God's word, which is what we read here in verses 4 through 8. And in the book of Ezra, chapter 7, we find, we read this about Ezra. Ezra was skilled in the law of Moses. He had set his heart to study it, do it, and teach it to others. And the hand of God was on him for good. And Walter Kaiser, who is a preeminent Old Testament scholar, wrote these words about Ezra. It is no wonder then... That God used Ezra, for he had made up his mind and prepared his heart, not only to enter into the study of the word of God, but also to do what it commanded and to teach others to do the same. No wonder God used Ezra. What's the takeaway for us? You know, here in this one, by asking this question, who I see a beautiful picture of each person doing what God had called and gifted him to do. Nehemiah provided leadership to rebuild the wall and restore the city. He courageously led them, even in the face of opposition. Ezra, who was skilled in the law of Moses, reading God's word and teaching it to others, who in turn taught others. He recognized that he could not do it alone, so he multiplied himself. And among the Levites, some who were good readers, are good at reading, and therefore they stood and read the scriptures, and others who were good at teaching, and therefore taught the scriptures. And there were carpenters who were good at working with wood, and they designed and built the wooden platform. So the question for all of us is, what is that God has called you to do uniquely? For the purposes of spiritual renewal, revival of his people. Number five. What actually happened that day? At the water gate in Jerusalem. There was a revival broke out. I don't have the time to read through some of the scriptures. You can read about it. Hopefully you came prepared having read it. There was conviction of sin. There was repentance. And there was obedience to God's word. Marks of revival. So brothers and sisters, my question for us is this. Do you want to experience what the Israelites experienced on that day at Watergate? Do you want spiritual renewal and growth individually and collectively as a church? Then we need to ask the final question. How do we apply today? That's the sixth question. And so here's what I found. God's word is central to spiritual renewal and growth. Therefore, each of us need to order or reorder our lives to make God's word a priority. Revere it. People stood up. People said, Amen. They lifted their hands, bowed their heads, and worshiped God, as the scripture was read. Hunger for it. People took the initiative. Not Ezra, not Nehemiah, 
people took initiative and asked Ezra to bring out the word of God. As tired as they may have been, as exhausted as they may have been, there was every reason for them to stay at home. They came back because they felt that renewal was important in their lives. And then study it and understand it. And then obey it. They repented of their sins. And they gave food for those who were in need. They observed and celebrated the Feast of the Booths. And they used their God-given gifts and were obedient to God's call in their lives. Brothers and sisters, since in 2012, fall of 2012, we had a four-part sermon series here at Midland Free about revival. After the series was over, we called a prayer meeting here, and there were about 400 or 500 people who were gathered here in our sanctuary on that day. I have not stopped praying for a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit in this congregation since that day. Three years have gone by. I am looking. I am eagerly looking for God to pour out His Spirit and bring about a renewal and a revival in our congregation. Would you join and pray? Start by praying the Word of God. Start by praying for 30 people or 30 families over the 30 days. And let's see what God does with that. Let's pray. Father, we are eager, we are expectant. We are desirous for to do something very special, something very unique in our congregation. Father, we are desperate for you to pour out your spirit afresh and renew us. Such that we would love you more and we would serve you more. Carrying your message, the message of the gospel, everywhere. Be with us in days and weeks and months. Help us to seek you wholeheartedly as one people united for one purpose. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.